Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you in Milford and with everyone online and everyone here at the pond. If we could, let's bring those house lights up. I'd love to see all the beautiful people in their fall attire here. It would be great. I'm Dave and thrilled to have you here at Crossway. I thought I was going to be hobbling a little bit more on my way up here. Yesterday, a whole bunch of us ran the New Hampshire Half Marathon uh, to raise money with World Vision for clean water, and our team, uh, maybe 50 or so people, were able to raise over $60,000. Every $50 helps a child have clean water for life. Uh, it's just a remarkable, remarkable thing. I saw a bunch of people here in our service uh, here at the pond, and if you're in Milford or maybe online, write your name. I'd love for any of the participants just to stand, or if you brought somebody to run the race and you were here, I'd just love to just cheer on these folks here. Can we just celebrate them today here too? A lot of good runners and walkers. Awesome. Say hi and congratulate somebody who was a part of that, but not only do I just want to congratulate our, our team members, but our whole church. You know, last May, it was a bold calling to invite us to, to move our feet so that people who were normally walking close to four miles to find any kind of water in some of the more developing areas of our world, uh, to, to come and do this, and it was a bold calling, and I just feel so grateful to be a part of a church in which people are responding so passionately, uh, so fervently, enduring a lot. And I was just talking with somebody in the hallway, and I said, a half marathon is kind of a pleasant misery, uh, really. And people endured that well and celebrated, and it was just a tremendous, tremendous joy. We'll share some videos and pictures of that next week, but as we've been in this series here at Crossway called Trailhead, uh, I think what we did as a, as a team reflects a lot of the values that this series has been all about. A trailhead, of course, is the beginning point of a path or, uh, or some form of, of trail, that we're, uh, some type of endeavor that we're going to go on together. And some of the big marks of how we can go on this path of practicing the way of Jesus here at Crossway are things like being welcomed, known, needed, grown, and sent out, which we'll talk about next week. But when I think about this team, how welcoming people were of all ages, different backgrounds. It was just beautiful. I love how known so many of us feel by and knowing one another's names, doing something significant alongside each other. It was amazing to see the community that was built. We're needed, and we realize God has blessed us in America with a tremendous amount of resourcing. How can we use our gifts, our talents, our service to bless those outside? Uh, the church is one of the only organizations in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members, so we're needed. We saw that exemplified, and we saw people growing tremendously throughout this whole experience from May until just yesterday. I love seeing people who never thought they could go even four or five miles, go 13.1. I love seeing people overcome their fears. I love seeing people just get healthier and fit in the clothes they never thought they could. Uh, once again, a lot of growth. But also, I just love seeing how people's hearts were just growing with compassion as well. One of my favorite moments in the race yesterday was uh, around mile four or five. There's a lot of hills in this part of Newfound Lake near Bristol, New Hampshire. And myself and then one other team member had a little bit of some injuries in our training up until the race. And the guy, Jay Kramarczak, had a little bit worse out on our Milford campus. And Jay was pushing through a, a slightly broken uh, leg, uh, believe it or not. And we're going up this one you know, part, and I, I was having some calf issues with 
muscle straining and uphill was just brutal. And Jay just mentioned to me, as hard as this is, just imagine every single day having to do this just to get some access to water, to go through this. And because of the pain we're kind of enduring and suffering through, you know, God is using that to help so many not have to do that any longer. But that just was a moment where I felt, God, you're continuing to grow my heart for those who I don't know, maybe don't see, who don't have it as good as I have it. And how can I use what I've been given to extend that to others? And that's a key part of of spiritual growth for all of us. And my hope and prayer is that we would be a church, that we would be passionate and committed to being grown spiritually. And that, in turn, should impact every aspect of life. And so today, we're going to talk about being grown and how valuable that is to a church. But one of the things I've kind of just lament over is how many churches, how much of my church experience has been where we haven't really emphasized spiritual growth to be such an important thing. You know, in America, we love to measure things. And so often the measurements of success in church are sometimes referred to as like the ABCs, the uh, you know, attendance and buildings and cash, or the three Bs, the buildings and budgets and bodies, or some people say butts and seats. You know, how many of those do we have? And we think we have bigger buildings and bigger budgets and bigger, oh, we won't go there, then we think we're doing better off. But rather than A, B, C, and D, what if instead we measured discipleship? Maybe the, the D and the ABCs. Discipleship. Are you a disciple? Jesus didn't tell us before he went to heaven to go and make big buildings. He didn't tell us go and you know, raise all this capital for these great budgets. He said make disciples. And a disciple is someone who's learning to live their life the way Jesus would do it if he was you. We don't just want to know what Jesus taught. We want to interact with him in such a way, to be with him so we could become more and more like him, that more easily and routinely we would just do the things that he said. We want to be disciples. We want to be disciples. Are you a disciple? Do you desire that? Well, I think that is the hallmark of what spiritual growth is all about, how to be grown. And we want to look at some of the dynamics of spiritual growth today as we continue. Each week we've been studying Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. In a moment I'll have us stand to, to read this, but before then, this is our fourth time reading this as a church here in the last four weeks. And this time I want you to be listening for where you might recognize the dynamic of spiritual growth happening in these verses. Particularly, think about what are the things these early disciples were doing to facilitate, cultivate, create the conditions for spiritual growth to occur. What are their practices? What are their disciplines? We might think of those things. And then what's, that's kind of the input. And then listen for what's the output. As they are doing these things in partnership with the Holy Spirit, what are the results? What starts to happen? And maybe, church, if we start to rediscover what the earliest followers of Jesus did, perhaps we might be able to recapture some of that power, that joy, that movement of the Spirit in our day and age, just like they experienced 2,000 years ago. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And if you would, let's stand as we hear verses 42 to 47. These are God's very words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, 
because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These are God's very words. You may be seated. So whether you're online or here in Nashua or in Milford, I'm going to actually hand it off to Pastor Jake to lead this exercise in just a moment. But I want us to kind of shout out a little interaction here, recognizing what are the inputs they were doing to practice this way of discipleship, what were the outcomes that were the result And then maybe, so inputs, outputs, our outcomes, and then maybe what fell into both categories, okay? So I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Jake. If you're in the chat, I encourage you to write down some of the things that you see, and let's uh, shout out some things right here now. We'll do a little fun with the whiteboard. So what were some of the inputs, some of the practices that the early church did to be disciples of Jesus? What were some of their habits is maybe another way of talking about this. Teaching, yeah, we got that. So there was the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to, we might say, say God's Word. Especially they were focused on parts of the, the apostles' teaching that had a lot to do with their experience with the Gospels, with what Jesus was doing. One of the best pieces of the pastoral advice I have ever heard was, keep yourself in the Gospels. Almost reading part of that almost every single day. And you won't deviate very far from where God would want you to be. I'm going to move this up so I can get in the light here, I think, a little bit better. Let's see if that's better. What else? I think I heard Kevin show something in the back. Good, yeah, so a good outcome right there is they had the goodwill of the, the people. And I wonder about that here. Does the church in America today have the goodwill of the people? When people see us gather, what we stand for, our habits, our practices, would, would they think, wow, these are great people? Sometimes. I was amazed how many people yesterday at the race were asking us, what's World Vision? What church are you guys from? What are you doing? And it seemed like that was a way that we had some of that. It was a great chance to witness and even met somebody that lives right by the pond campus. Hopefully we'll come to Crossway. Yeah. But sometimes some of our inputs don't necessarily lead to outputs that would lead to the goodwill of the people. But that's what we would hope for, that our culture would think, I'm glad there are these people who follow Jesus, because that makes the world around us better. What are some of the other inputs or outputs that you notice? Time, yeah. So they put a lot of time, spending time together was critical. That's how they know one another or known by each other. Yeah. What else? Eating bread, so meals, so they're, they're sharing communion like we do each and every week. They're also going to one another's homes, so there's a sense of availability and vulnerability that we talked about. They're knowing others, being known by them, and often that happens over or meals or, you know, in our case, really good coffee and things like that. Yeah, donuts after service here at the pond, okay. Name tags, donuts, I think we got some acts too, you know, ripe for potential here after service. Yeah, what else? They shared, yeah, so there is a sense of 
of giving, distributing. Uh, they, other people maybe don't have as much as what we have been entrusted with, and so we want to not just think, how can I accumulate as much for myself? How can I extend that to others? Yeah, I love that. What else? Serving. Yeah, we'll put that, keep that in there. Yeah, serving, sharing. Yeah, what else? What's that? Obedience. So they didn't just know the, the, what God's Word, the apostles' teachings were. They, they were obeying it. And I would say that kind of falls into like this middle category. It's like they tried to obey God's Word and did that, but also the work of the Spirit as they were doing those things enabled them to put into practice what Jesus taught. Yeah, that's great. What else did you notice? Yeah, Josh. They prayed together. Excellent. Yeah, there was, there was a devotion to, to prayer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Relieving suffering for each other and, and things. That could almost be a little bit of both here. We'll just put that in like uh, relieving suffering. Um, yeah. Uh, where they were actively trying to care for the needs of others. But that was also the result as community was being built, as they were sharing together. Yeah, those are great things. What else? Corporate worship. So I would say praise kind of falls into both categories as well. We think about praise. It's something I, I want to engage with. Uh, but also sometimes when I see what God is doing, how the Spirit is working, it leads, uh, the overflow of that leads to greater praise and worship of God. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sacrifice, so yeah, along with these lines, sharing, serving, yeah, that's, that's definitely right there. Great answer. Others that you noticed? Sincere hearts. There was a, yeah, I think that, that probably falls into this category here of both. You know, they maybe tried to act with integrity, but also the outcome of listening to God's word, spending time together, maybe more was caught than taught explicitly by each other. That starts to help them become the right type of, person, believer, community that has sincerity, integrity, character. Yeah. Witnessing. Yeah, we see maybe kind of both. Uh, there, the Lord is adding to their number, right? There is an addition that is starting to happen. People are seeing this community practicing the way of Jesus together, and a natural outcome as the Spirit works in their circumstances is that the, the community grows. And so there is a sense of, of witness, absolutely. Sense of awe, yes, thanks, Bob, yeah. There's an awe and wonder at the signs and, and powers that, that they saw the Lord working through them. Yeah. Peace of mind. No one was wondering who said that here with that uh, powerful voice of Avalon right there, yeah. We could say that's kind of an outcome here as well, a, a peace of, of, of mind, of a settledness, a stability, uh, and I hope as we're sharing both some of these inputs and seeing these outputs and kind of this middle category, I don't know about you, my heart starts to burn to just long for this more and more and more. I think we start to see things here that are going, investments in spiritual growth. Here's some of the outcomes of this community growing spiritually together. And as you look at this list, what are the outputs that you would like to see in our church, well, what are the inputs that we need to invest in, that we need to do, the habits that we can cultivate and form to be this kind of community? Because here's a real principle I think we need to understand today as we see this. Spiritual growth, it doesn't happen 
by default, but by design. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by default, but by design. We have to intend it. Intend it. I'm trying to help us see a vision for what this could be like. We have to desire that. Let me spend the next few moments here kind of going a little past Acts chapter 2 to look at some critical parts of, of, of Paul's writings, especially in the New Testament, that just emphasize how important spiritual growth is, why we should desire this vision for what the early church experienced to be more and more of a reality in our church and in our lives individually. Romans 8.29, I'm going to blitz through these, uh, but let's listen to some of these. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. What's God's purpose and intent for you? What's His calling for your life? That you would become more and more like Jesus. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, that's it. He wants you to become more and more like Jesus. And if you're growing in that, He's going to make sure you all those other lesser kind of callings and those other decisive moments in your life, He's going to help you work those things out. But keep this is your highest calling. That's what God wants for your life. That's His will. Paul says in Romans 12 too, Therefore, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Spiritual growth, transformation is at the core of what God desires for you. So one of the big inputs we have to think about for spiritual growth is what we put before our minds. Because what we pay attention to will invariably and inevitably shape who we become. So think about what you're putting before your mind. That's your input. That will lead to a certain output. You can't avoid it. So what might God be encouraging you to put before your mind? Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy its desires. Paul is intentionally using this clothing language to say, just as you kind of put on, you know, one shoe at a time, one leg of your pants at a time, put on Jesus. It's something you have an active role to contribute to. But then also in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into this glorious image. So there's a really interesting dynamic in spiritual growth. There are things that we do that we put effort toward and then there are things that only God can do. And that's really what God's grace is. It's helping us do what we can't do by our own individual efforts. But when we see our efforts paired with God's grace, He helps us become more and more like Christ. Day after day, moment by moment. And this is such an important passion of Paul's that he writes in uh, Galatians 4.19. My children for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Now I will say it's a bold move for a guy to talk about the pain of childbirth metaphorically here. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. But he's trying to show we want to see growth happen. And it's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. But I will endure whatever I must endure through until Christ is more and more formed in you. And one passage I neglected to put up here on the slide is Ephesians 4.15. And it says, grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Grow up into Christ. Grow up. Be spiritually grown, Paul is saying. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident, but by intention. It does not happen by default, but by design. So let me ask you, what's your plan 
for your own personal spiritual growth. We're going to talk about some of ours in the church here in a moment. What's your plan? How do you believe God's Spirit is leading you to become more and more like Jesus? Now, you might be pushing back here, well, I don't even consider myself a Christian here, and I think that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I would encourage you to just enlist Jesus to be your teacher. Just start to try out what he says and see if it starts to have a result in your life or not. And what I think, if you make Jesus your teacher, there's a good chance you're going to want to make him your leader and savior in life. But start there. Try and become more like Jesus. I think we could all agree the world would be a better place if more and more people lived like the greatest person who ever lived. So let's say that we've got this intentional design to become more and more like Christ. What are some of the stages that we're going to experience in spiritual growth? Let's say, for example, we're at the beginning of a trailhead, and often they have a nice map right there, and it's going to show you you're going to kind of climb real hard here. A lot of New Hampshire trails, it's just like straight up. You know, we're just going to climb right up, you know, 2,000 feet elevation gain, and it's going to be a, a pleasant misery. Some of them have a little bit more winding trails, some switchbacks. I think our unique individual spiritual pathways will look different. But are there some overarching macro-level patterns, stages that we can kind of identify to know if we're on the right track or not? I think that there are. And so I want to draw out here what's often considered the stages of faith. The stages of faith. And I'll kind of make this uh, as a circle. Um, And again, this doesn't happen in a pure, linear kind of way. I think it happens in successive stages. But overall, I think we can see that there are some some pretty clear stages and patterns that we can can pay attention to. And there are six stages here, so I sure hope I got six up here. Close enough. The first one is we could consider life-changing awareness of God. And if you can't read my handwriting, I was trying to be merciful enough to give the slide as well. Life-changing awareness of God. And this is essentially... Coming to to faith, to put your trust in Jesus. I want to follow him. One of the things that we have at Crossway to help us get to this point of life-changing awareness of God, because a lot of us might be resistant, we might be wrestling, is our Alpha course. It launched this past Tuesday, and you can still jump in. I think it's roughly 6 o'clock at our downtown campus this upcoming Tuesday. Most, many of us here have had this first stage of faith, this life-changing awareness of God. doesn't mean our faith journey doesn't start before this, but that's maybe one of the first key markers that we experience. The second one, and it's, this is not proportional, by the way, here as well. But the second we could say is a learning stage. You know, this is where we start reading and studying Scripture, discovering what the key doctrines and beliefs of the Christian faith are all about uh, and it's exciting. Oh, this clicks. This makes sense. Oftentimes we might be in a small group with other people, which is a great avenue for growth. And we start to ask questions. We're dialoguing. We're learning. It's a key part of it. Third stage is what we might call ministry. This is where we really discover what is our spiritual gifts, our passions, our temperament, our personality. This can take years to really understand. But we start small and keep building and building upon living out the unique calling that God has given to each and every one of us to build his kingdom, to bless the world, to be a part of building the church. Now, for most Christians, this is essentially the entirety of our spiritual lives right here. We make that 
big decision for, for God. We learn a lot about it. We do some ministry, but we never quite get past stage three. We might start to get into stage four, and here's probably why. It's called the inner journey. And these first three stages, we, it's a lot of doing for God. We're active, we're involved, it's exciting, it's inspiring. And then somewhere along the lines, maybe you've had this experience, some of the, the thrill starts to wear off just a little bit. All of the maybe enthusiasm and affection that you started to feel from God when you were doing things, they just start to wane little by little. And you start to feel like I'm doing something wrong. God felt so present, and now he seems to be kind of strangely absent. And I believe what God is inviting in, us into in this inner journey is not so much to do things for him as much as learning to be with him. And oftentimes it's a journey not just from what we're doing in our minds, like the learning stage, or like our hands in this kind of ministry stage, but our, but our hearts. We start to realize that God wants to talk about our past, our emotions, our feelings. And ultimately, he wants to bring about a deep sense of inner freedom. We're not plagued by areas of unfreedom or resentment in our lives. Often it's a painful kind of process where we start to learn, I have been attached to the wrong things, caring too much about, let's just say, pleasure or my performance or how popular I am or not. And God is saying there's something so much better for you than what other people think of you or what you have or what you've accomplished. Find your true identity in me. And we start to just learn to receive God's love. But what happens is we start to feel a little out of control. And so somewhere as this inner journey begins, we often can hit what people just call the wall. I mean, we just hit this, this wall. And, and we hit it because we realize to keep growing, maybe we realize it or our defense mechanisms just come up, we start to realize I'm probably going to have to only grow through pain rather than spiritual highs. This is all really exciting, this stuff here. It's active. We can stand and celebrate it. But we start to hit this wall when I realize there's some parts of my life that God wants to do an inner work through that I just wouldn't look like Jesus from the outside or be doing the things he would be doing. But my inner life would be more and more like the inner life of Christ. And this is tough. There's not an easy way to program for this as a church. If you ever see people that sometimes will like leave a church without any real clear explanation, it's almost always because in some way they're hitting the wall. Because what we can do is, if, if God's inviting this inner journey, but we want to resist it, well, if I go to another place, well, they're going to have a fresh way of helping me learn. They're going to have new ways for me to serve, and it's going to feel really exciting for a little bit. And you eventually make your way back to this wall. There's a phrase in the world of spiritual direction that's called endlessly inventive evasion. Endlessly inventive evasion, which God's inviting us into this, but we put up the walls. Oftentimes you can see it like somebody just accomplished this great thing, uh, and then they just kind of disappear. Had this great spiritual high, and then suddenly you look around, where are they? 
God is doing some kind of work, but we find all these ways to resist what God is doing. I think I've told this story before about my son Dallas when he was a little kid. Uh, he was great at resisting taking naps. I mean, he would be so tired. It's like, come on, buddy, let's go take a nap. And he's like, I'm not tired. I don't need a nap. And it's just like, you're going to feel a lot better if you just take a nap. And we finally get him down. He feels better. Hey, did you need to take a nap? Yeah, I guess I was tired. And as he does that, I start asking God, how am I resistant to you? And I think what God has been teaching is this. We resist the hardest what we actually need the most. We resist the hardest what we actually need the most. And so I would just wonder right now, is there a way you might be resisting God, hiding from God, putting up the boundaries, just saying, for me, the way I resist God the most is over-scheduling my calendar. I like to be so busy doing things for God that I don't necessarily have to be with God. I can be so overly occupied with other things that when it comes to sitting down and kind of being still and, and hearing what God might want to say, I kind of wear myself out to the point that I don't always spend enough time doing it. How might you be evading God? Then this fifth stage is what we might call the outer journey. This is after you've kind of gone through this humbling inner journey. This inner journey can sometimes take 10, 15 years. Again, sometimes it cycles through differently throughout the duration of our lifetime. But the outer journey is now you have been brought to this place where you don't feel like you need to perform or do these great things for God. You're able to just serve from a place of contentment and rest and joy. In preaching, I would, I would talk about the outer journey or think of it in these terms. When I'm doing, say, stage three preaching, my big preoccupation would be, man, I want these people to like me. I want these people to think I am, I am smart and, and engaging and intelligent and dynamic. And then you kind of go through this inner journey. Are those things you start to realize? Those were the wrong things to be focusing on. And then the outer journey, you start to have a sense of freedom where you can essentially just preach as an act of love instead of as a way to impress. You're not really that worried about how it went because ultimately only God knows how it went because how the message goes isn't by how well it's delivered by somebody up here. It's by what the Holy Spirit does between the times the words leave a preacher's mouth and hit your hearts. And what does, the God, does God do as a result? And then the outer journey, and then the last stage six, as we would just say, is being transformed by love. That's just another way of saying becoming as Christ-like as you possibly can. To be transformed by love. God is love loving. He created to share His loving life with each and every one of us. And the way we can interact with God most fully is by becoming people pervaded with His love. So where would you find yourself on this spiritual journey? Here's my encouragement. No matter where you are, maybe you're kind of just not even there just yet, wherever you are, resist resistance. Don't aim for perfection. Work toward progress. And trust that God will enable you to continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you in this journey? 
I hope that we would be a church that wants to keep progressing, that we might be more and more like Jesus for the sake of others in our world. And here are just some ways that we do that at Crossway. Some of the steps you might be able to take. I mentioned Alpha earlier. If you're on that stage one idea here, that would be a great place to be. Small groups are really good for knowing others and that learning phase that we talked about. Serving is great for that ministry. If you're not doing those things, they're indispensable for your spiritual growth. One of the things that we did last year was a podcast that uh, Chris Birch and myself have put together called Getting Heaven in the People. We've got close to 50 episodes, and it's really focused on that kind of stage four growth. If you find yourself spiritually stuck, 10 to 15 minute episodes that are designed to help you interact more and more with God. And then on October 17th, we'll be launching the next session of what we call Monday School. And it's a really designed to help you go deeper in your formation and your theological thinking and your capacity to serve God more fully. Uh, This year, we're going to have Monday School for Kids as well. So it'll be at 6.30. There'll be child care for nursery age and then uh, class for for children, uh, preschool and elementary. And if you're middle school or high school, jump on in. We would love to have you. That'll start October 17th. And the first class is going to be all about reading the Bible. It's going to be focused at some of the doctoral work I'm doing is going to be a lot of what this class is based on. But it's called Reading Scripture with Dallas Willard, an experiential approach to interpreting and teaching the Bible. And at the heart of this, Dallas would say, a lot of us read the Bible informationally. What would it look like to read it transformationally? He would talk about there's three kinds of knowing. We can know things by propositional truth, like this, is, this doctrine says this. There's know-how, a second way of knowing. We know how to practically apply some of these things. But then he says there's knowledge by acquaintance. We don't just know about something or know how something works. We know in a personal, interactive, experiential way. And he would contend that the Bible is authoritative and trustworthy because the author is in the room when you read. Dallas had this powerful way of saying, we live at the intersection of two landscapes, a visible world and an invisible world. And spiritual growth teaches us to live by faith and not by sight. So the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is living by sight, being so consumed with what's right in front of us that we miss out on the more that is God and His kingdom and that it's real. And so spiritual growth is an invitation for us to live more interactively with God so that we can become more like Christ and be the church the world desperately needs. Richard Foster, who was one of Dallas's best friends, once said, superficiality is the curse of our age. What the world needs is not more intellectual people or more gifted people, but deep people. And deep people are those who are living with Jesus in such a way that we are growing spiritually, and that can't happen alone. It can only happen together. But when it does, awe and wonder and joy and power and witnessing and evangelism and mission and service and heaven coming to earth is what we can begin to anticipate more and more. And so my brothers and sisters, I hope and pray today we might make the decision that I am going to recommit or commit for the first time my efforts enlisting God's help to be people who are spiritually grown for our joy 
for the sake of our church and, and our world, and for God's greater glory. Will you be a disciple of Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for just the power of your, of your, of your word. Thank you, God, that we're not just worshiping a book, but this book contains the words of a greater, greater being, a personal God who created all that exists. And somehow, by your amazing grace, you invite us to become more and more like you, Jesus. And so, God, my hope and prayer today is that you would help any of us who might feel spiritually stuck to be unstuck. May we sense your invitation to live at the intersection of this visible and invisible world as your disciples. To live a spiritual life, a life interactive with you. And so God, day by day, may you help us to find you in all things, to notice your goodness, to have the courage to talk with you about our hurts and our heartache, struggles that we're feeling internally, knowing we're not giving you any more information, but as we talk to you, we give you more access. And as we give you more access, God, you meet us where we are as we are. And so may you meet each and every one of my friends right where they are this very Thank you, God, that you did not come to condemn the world, but to save it, to heal us. So I pray for a sense of spiritual healing right now. As we recognize your presence with us. And may your spirit empower us to bear the fruits of the spirit, the evidence of spiritual growth, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control all for your greater glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray all these things. And everyone said together, amen.